welcome back and uh, timely, always timely, uh, when we have time to spend together with our good friend Dan Perkins. He's a political commentator. He's the author of four novels. He's the host of What's On My Mind podcast. Uh, he heads up Songs and Stories for Soldiers, which is an amazing outreach to uh, veterans, songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. And his personal website is danperkins.guru. Brother Dan, good to see you, friend. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And yourself? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Our, all our hearts and minds are in the Middle East. What's your 30,000-foot view of what's happening in Israel? It's a shiny object play. Now, you're probably wondering, what the heck is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the situation in the Middle East is a distraction. Um, we are not paying attention to the tens of thousands of Middle Easterners, males, who are coming across our southern border uh, with, with no review or anything. Uh, your previous guests talked about the third of the missiles being fired by Hamas into Israel are duds. The reason why they're duds, Perry, is because they're made in garages and kitchens and, and all over the place in, in Gaza. And they're, they're made by people who don't really know a lot about making missiles, but they're looking at qual quantity as opposed to quality. When you now take that situation and you see how much terror Hamas was able to bring to the Israeli people, imagine of the hundreds of thousands of people that have come across our border who hate us, who are now building next door to you in their garages missiles that they will use against us. I've heard this on multiple levels, and the question, uh, 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 the obvious thing is, is that we have not caught these people coming across the border. The, the border disaster was a shield for them to get into this country, um, and that all eyes are in another 9-11 type situation developing in the United States. Right. Um, I don't know if the FBI, they... I guess uh, Director Ray said, um, put some cities on high alert, so there's got to be some chatter out there. What are you hearing? Well, what I'm hearing is that the, the number of people coming across the border, I sent you, I don't know whether you got a chance to see it or read it, my latest commentary is about um, the uh, two questions, one for Biden, one for the terrorists. If, in fact, Biden does build the 20 miles of wall, will the, will the illegals who are not yet in the country, in those 150 countries that are coming to our shores, uh, will, they, will they trust Joe Biden that he won't go any further than the 20 miles? Or will they say, do I take a chance and wait and see what happens, or do I come now? I think they come now. I think the 260,000 that came across the border or more uh, in September could easily, by springtime, if he physically starts building the wall, to a half a million a month. So let me back up a little bit and ask you some bigger questions here. Uh, this sounds very political, and I don't mean it to be. It just seems to be obvious in some ways. <laughs> the current administration's foreign policy 
and failures thereof has led to this war, right or wrong? Well, you, you, you started off with an assumption when you said this administration's foreign policy. In my opinion, sir, they don't have any foreign policy. So, uh, absolutely. I, I, I look at what they did in Afghanistan on the withdrawal. Um, they, turned the, they turned a military structure over to the State Department to run, which was the reason why it was a disaster. And, and we've got a situation today where the, the question that really needs to be asked, and, and we've all asked this question a hundred times as long as Joe Biden's been president, but it's even more important to ask the question today, who's in charge? Is Joe Biden actually making these decisions or is there somebody else or somebody's else that are making the decisions and telling him this is what we're going to do? And we don't know the answer to that question, but well, it's it, a very important. It, it appears, Dan, it's the latter as much as we hate to admit that and we hope that it wouldn't be, but it appears that it's the latter. So my question would be then, um, why can't we, now with this war broken out, do the obvious first step and refreeze the six billion, or six, yeah, the six billion? Why can't we refreeze this? What's the problem here? The money is still in Qatar and hasn't been delivered to Iran. So it's, it's not that big a deal. The president or the secretary of state picks up the phone and calls the prime minister of Qatar and say, stop. And they say, yes, Mr. President. It isn't that big a deal to, to, to stop it. Um, and, and we have chosen not to do that. We have pussyfooted around and not, and we get, well, it, it doesn't really make any difference because this war was not financed by the $6 billion that we traded for five hostages. That's probably true. But if you give them $6 billion, is it going to be there to finance the next war when things go bad? So, yes, we sh we, there shouldn't be any question in anybody's mind, except that there is, uh, that we should stop the, the transfer of that $6 billion. As if nothing else, a penalty for viciously attacking another nation without provocation. Up until the time the president left the United States and went to Israel for 10 to 12 hours and the time that he's gotten back. Uh, the two days prior to him leaving to Israel, he mentioned on several occasions, from his perspective and intelligence, Iran is not involved in this attack. Uh, we haven't heard that since he's been to Israel and since he's returned and he's going to address the nation tonight. Two questions. One is, is it true Iran's not involved in this attack? And number two, can he possibly say that to the American people tonight? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. And you might want to throw in the fact that the, a recent story that came out I saw this morning, North Korea was involved in the planning. This is what has been reported. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But clearly, Hamas... Um, is a is a uh, a prodigy of the Iranian government, and and I I, I want to take that because it's a very important for our audience to understand. Hamas is a recognized international terrorist organization, without question. 
but they're not the official government of the Palestinians. So the things that a terrorist organization can do are much worse than what a government can decide it wants to do. This is a terrorist organization who is attacking Israel, and the government in which they're under this supposed supervision has chosen to do nothing or say nothing. Okay, so uh, we have now evidence that some of the missiles that are being used did come from North Korea. Mm -hmm. um, we know that Hamas is nothing more than uh, a puppet of Iran. Hezbollah out of Lebanon, same thing. Um, mm -hmm. It appears to me that Israel not only has to defend itself currently in what's going on, but ultimately would have to show some kind of response to Iran, whether it's taking out the nukes or taking out the refineries. But something probably will result in some kind of a um, um, address to Iran. Do you agree with that? You know, your, your previous guest uh, talked about the two aircraft carrier, Gerald Ford and the other one, uh, carrier groups that are the Eisenhower that are on, on station or on their way. They're not for Israel. They're not for Hamas. They're for sending messages to Iran. Well, what message is it we're sending? Are we, as you pointed out, are they there to take out the nuclear facilities? Are they there to take out the refineries? Or what are they there for? So we don't know what the mission of the carrier, the two carrier groups are and why they're there. They just were moved there. But if the, if the conventional wisdom is they're not there to protect Israel, and they're not going to use these, the firepower of these two aircraft carriers on, on Gaza, uh, then what are they there for? Are they there for, as you point out, either to take out the refineries or to take out the, the nuclear capabilities? The nuclear capabilities, we have been told, whether it's true or not, we don't know, are buried so deep underground that bunker buster bombs would be ineffective in, in effectively destroying uh, those capabilities. I think, and, and I'm playing it because I'm an energy guy and been an energy guy for over 50 years, I think the, the issue is necessary. They're going to take out its oil capacity, destroy it. Yeah, that would be the end of their economy. So l let me ask you this. Uh, well, let me just say it's also being mentioned that those two aircraft carriers and their support uh, ships are there uh, to kind of guard Israel if Israel does divert some of their assets to Iran. In other words, we wouldn't strike Iran. Israel will strike Iran, and we're there to have its back in case they need extra support inside of Israel. That's certainly a possibility, but it's a, it's 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 a, if you think about it, two aircraft carrier groups to support the internal of Israel. I think that's what some people might call overkill, and I don't mean to be—I'm not trying to be facetious. That's an awful lot of firepower for a backup situation. I think the, the issue is it appears that somebody's made the decision that we're going to have to engage 
uh, with Iran and we're deciding between nuclear and energy. And I agree with you that the energy short term has a, will have a devastating impact on the economy of Iran and the time to totally rebuild it to try and bring it back to where it was would be significant. And then you could create, if you want to look at it this way, if you wanted to create the greatest amount of internal turmoil in Iran, let's say Iranian people, killing the refineries, which destroys their economy, food, electrical power, whatever, is more devastating to the Iranian people and cause them to react than trying to take out the underground nuclear devices. Yeah. I could see where that would be the case. And I think that would also be the case why they may get a wink and a nod from Saudi Arabia to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I, th I think that Saudi Arabia, they're, they're, you, again, in your previous show, you talked about Shia and Sunni, the, 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 the historical battle between the two. Um, there is no love loss between Shia and, and Sunni. And, and, and the idea that if, if Saudi Arabia could create a situation where it creates a problem for the government leaders and the religious leaders in, in Iran, uh, with, especially with their people, I think the Saudis would be very happy to see that happen. Yeah. Let me take a quick break. I'm over on time. Dan Perkins with us. Check out What's On My Mind podcast. Check out his website, danperkins.guru, and support his outreach to veterans, songs and stories for soldiers.us. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And got a lot to squeeze in here in a short amount of time. Dan Perkins is back with us. Check out his podcast, What's on My Mind podcast. Dan, um, <laughs> the House of Representatives is a mess. And yes. uh, the ultra right-wingers uh, throughout McCarthy, um, they basically tanked Scalise. And, uh, and the ones who got upset about Scalise now won't go with Jordan. Uh, what are the Republicans doing to themselves there besides, I don't know if they're shooting themselves in the foot, maybe a vital organ. I don't know. I have written about this problem when, when we had the, the first speakers get into trouble. And I, I would like to say that if you look at what's going on here, there are four swing votes that give the Republicans the majority. In, Borden's, in, in, in uh, Jordan's second vote, he lost by 20. He was short by 20 votes. I know this is going to sound strange, but, and I've talked about it several times. I may have even talked about it on your show. I think the Democrats are holding firm together as a group because they believe they can pick off five or more Republicans, come vote for them, and Hakeem Jeffries would be the new Speaker of the House. Well, there's that. I've heard that. There's the rumor out there. Um, but that mm -hmm. means that Jordan would have to capitulate. The, uh, the Republicans would have to go back into caucus again and come up with an—I mean, we could be in this process past the time that they have to come up with a budget. I mean, we are heading into a disaster area here. But, kind sir, let me ask you a question. Okay? Mm -hmm. Go. 
If the house <laughs> if the house doesn't have a speaker, how does it affect your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, it you know, we've been getting by with this for two weeks just fine. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know if McHenry has given some special leeway to govern. I don't know, but they are looking at a budget disaster coming up here in two weeks. So this is kind of interesting. But wouldn't they have a budget disaster even if we had a speaker? Yes. Yes. So um, I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious, and, and, and I, I'm just playing with you a little bit. I'm saying, yeah. okay, so we've got a, a vacancy. We need to fill it. Uh, well, some people would say we got a vacancy in the White House, and and he hasn't been effective for three years, um, and we the country hasn't gotten along well. But no big deal. So I, I I think if 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 I hope I'm wrong, but if you get some some moderate Democrats who coerce moderate Republicans to come over, and all they need is five. They can swing the election for the Speaker of the House to Hakeem Jeffries. So we'd have a Democrat speaker who is in the minority. But stranger things than that have happened, and I think that's a, that's a real possibility. So you think Jordan's done? I don't think he's done yet. Uh, I I was supporting Jordan from the very beginning. I thought he would have been would, would, would make a great speaker. He's strong. He's dynamic. He's he knows what he wants to do, and he and has been able to get an enormous amount accomplished when his judiciary committee in investigations into the Bidens. But again, Perry, it's a distraction. It's a shiny object. The the Democrats let all of this go on now here over here because they don't have to talk about Biden and his corruption and everything else. Yeah, I get that part. Uh, so the other obvious thing is, can the Republicans afford to do this to themselves? That's a great question. Can they afford to? If you, if you believe the polling data, it's going to be a massacre for the Democrats in 2024. Yeah, but we heard the red wave last go around, too. Yeah, I know. You're absolutely right. And that's, that's the risk. Um, uh, no, they, can, they, they can't af afford to have this happen, but they may have, it have, have to happen in, in spite of what should be right. They're going to they're gonna figure out some way to screw it up, and they will. Yeah, um, they're doing a good somebody job. Wants, somebody, said, but somebody said recently, I heard this, the Republican Party today is more inclusive than the Democrats have ever been as a party. And when you think about all of the factions that are fighting in the Republican Party, they're all constituents of people who have certain beliefs, and, and there's a lot, a lot of them. So there's, it's a big tent. There's room for a lot of different beliefs and ideas, but it makes it very difficult to manage as a party. Okay, one last quick question. Should the RNC just go ahead and cancel all debates and just go with Trump because he's so far ahead in the polls? I think it'll be interesting to see with NBC being the lead uh, questioners for the next coming debate and one, how, who's going to be there. And, and, and NBC will certainly have a different approach. But 
again, I, I look at the, uh, the aggregate polls as opposed to individual polls. And it, it appears to me that, that nobody's gaining any ground on Donald Trump in the, in the Republican primaries. Now we're going to start voting soon, uh, and, and maybe that'll have an impact. But if, if all this discussion, or arguing, or bantering, or whatever you want to call it—it's not debating—is um, not moving the needle, except within this group of the six or eight of them, uh, and repositioning. But if the if the leader still isn't making any headway on Donald Trump, you're right. Why are we wasting the time? Well, I don't know. It, it was a rhetorical question that kind of tweaked my interest. You know, why are we doing this? Uh, nobody seems to be coming at him with any threat. Um, but on the other hand, he's tangled up in so many legal things. And then the other question is, uh, can we have a propped up Biden be the candidate on the other side? I mean, <laughs> this is really, this is really messy. <laughs> right, right. I've got, if I could, sir, I've got a couple of quick announcements. 30, 30 seconds, go. Okay. Number one, I, we rebranded the company and it's now called danperkinsmedia.org. It's the new website. Okay. My show changes names to The Truth Starts Now, a conversation with Dan Perkins. Okay. And uh, my, new my new novel will be out the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and I'll get you a copy of it. Oh, wonderful. Good to see you, friend. You're looking healthy. You feeling good? Yes. Thank you. Good. Well, keep eating. Don't buy any green bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Good to see you. God bless. See you. Have a good week.